about to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Three, but it'll be homework number two. Okay, I'll have the homework at the end. If you finished homeworks, just turn them in at the end. I will take a good look at them and get them back to you next week. The ones that we did for one, and I've got the one for tonight. Hallelujah. So uh, let's see, anything else? Forgot your homework. Dog ate it. Let me, let me come on, what happened? Dog ate it. Something happened. That's the way it, it always works, praise God. So uh, hallelujah. <laughs> it wasn't her dog. All right, all cell phones. Cell phones off, please. No jinging, linging, or anything like that. God calls, just call him back, praise God, and you'll be fine. All right. This will be lesson number three. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Father, I thank you again for your word tonight. I thank you for continually growing us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the opportunity to make a difference in this world today. We thank you for the anointing tonight. We thank you for revelation that we may walk in the light as you are in the light. And by doing that, we walk in power and in victory in every single area of our lives and help those who are struggling. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts tonight. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 24. We're going to talk tonight something about something very simple, but something that will either allow you to grow up in the things of God and the kingdom of God or will not allow you to grow up. So it's a very important point, even though it sounds simple. It's something that even myself, I have to check myself a lot of times. Matthew 24, Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And every word that he, everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. True believing as a believer in the kingdom of God demands action. Believing will create action in your life. Mental assent, just mentally assenting to it and thinking on it will admire it. It'll admit the word's true. It'll quote the word, but it will not act on the word. People say, I believe that, not if you're not acting on what you believe. So acting on the word is basically letting Christ act through you. Acting on the word gives God an opportunity. Whenever you act on the word of God in agreement with God, you allow God to do what God has promised in what you're believing and acting on. No sick person will be healed unless you lay hands on that sick person. The devil will not be cast out unless you cast him out. The Bible tells you to resist the devil. He will go nowhere unless you resist the devil. You have to give the word its place, is giving Christ his position as Lord of your life. When you obey the word of God, you are obeying the Lord himself. The problem of believing is made simple when we know that it is acting on what God has already spoken. You question yourself, am I believing God? The question is, are you acting on the Word of God? Here it says, a wise man built his house upon the rock. Notice the rock is not just the Word of God like many think. It is doing the Word of God. 
The hearer must become a doer or else his entire spiritual structure that he builds will be destroyed. How many know the storms are going to come against your life? Other hear but do not act upon the word. What are they? They're just sense knowledge believers. They're mental assenters. They're hopers, but they are not doers of the word of God. People respond to reason. They respond to natural knowledge, to feeling, but not to the word of God. They have their spirit life built upon the sand. If he has failed in anything, basically, or has faith in anything, he has more faith in man, he has more faith in science, more faith in his reason, more faith in basically anything of the natural realm, doctors, banks, whatever, than the Word of God. You can tell whether a man is building on sand or on the rock by simply noticing whether they are practicing the Word of God or not practicing the Word of God. Are you worrying or are you casting all your cares upon him? Are you talking sickness or are you talking the stripes of Jesus Christ? Are you living in selfishness or are you loving others? Rock or sand will be revealed in the midst of the storms of your life. What does that mean? When you get in trouble, you're going to find out what you really believe. Hallelujah. Go to James chapter 1. Oh yeah, when the sun is shining and the rain's far off and everything's going great. We're powerful people. But then the storm comes. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 22. It says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer... He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror, for he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Hallelujah. Which do you want to be? Blessed in all my deeds, yes. I thought for a long time, and many people think now, that basically all is necessary is basically knowledge, books, tapes, sermons. But it is the doer of the Word of God, the man who practices it, lives it, walks in it, that builds into his own life the power of God. For years in my own life, I mean, I, I preached the Word, I knew the Word, I taught the Word, and I go back over some of my own sermons, and I found out what I preached and what I taught I'm not even doing. You know, you preach to the people, you've got to be disciplined. And then I find sometimes myself, I'm not very disciplined. So I go back and preach to myself and say, hey, buddy, it's time to be disciplined. See, it's easy to come to church on Sunday. It's easy, easy to preach the Word. It's harder to do the Word. It's easy to say, you forgive while well, I'm not forgiving anybody up here, praise God. But you're the one that has to do it. But no, it's doing the Word. What happens when you do the Word? You are blessed in all of your deeds. So we want to do the word. We want to obey God. It says, if you continue in my word, how do we continue? Basically, we do the word that we know. We know the word. We've sat under it for years. Boy, we know the Greek. We know the Hebrew. We know the history. But all that is just wasted energy if you do not practice the word of God and do the word of God. Notice what it says here. We have deceived our own selves. Notice the devil's not even involved in that. We did it ourselves. We've deceived our own selves. If you're going to continue in the Word of God, you must do what the Word of God tells you to do. When you come to a hard place and you need money, you simply turn to the Lord because you know that my God shall supply all my need according to His riches in glory. 
You take your place. You act your part as a real believer. Instead of turning to the world, you turn to the Father for money, for wisdom, for whatever you need in life. He is your supplier. A loved one gets sick. Instead of being frightened, worry, and panic, you remember what the Word of God says. It says, Surely He has borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. You know it now. We simply act on the Word of God. We don't fear. We are not disturbed. We know that the Word says that with His stripes we are healed. We command and rebuke the sickness and live in peace. What are we doing? We're living the Word of God. We're obeying the Word of God. Basically, we are taking Jesus' place in the earth realm. Some calamity has come. People are starting rumors about you. Persecutions are coming from the enemy. They've stirred up about you or your ministry. What are you going to do? Well, I simply know what the Word says. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against me in judgment shall be condemned. You do not retaliate. You do not holler and scream. You simply trust Him. You bank on Him. He's our expectation, and everything is from Him and from His Word. We do not react to our senses We do not respond with feelings. We simply do the word. We live the word. Grow into a place where you trust every word in the word of God. We know that God and his word are one and that God backs every single word he has ever spoken. What kind of life do we live? We live blessed in all of our deeds. Hallelujah. Go to John 13. talked last week about the word prevailing over the natural feelings and emotions. This is another way of doing it. You act on the word of God. How many of you know sometimes a word will come up on the inside of you that you don't feel like doing and have no intentions of doing and don't even want to do, but there's that still small voice on the inside of you that just won't let you go, praise God, and it keeps coming up, keeps coming up. You fight it, you battle it. The more times you overrule your feelings and emotions with the word of God, the more you grow in the things of God. The more stable you become, the more victories you have in your life. All right, John chapter 13. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, you know just from the Word of God here that He loves you and that you are born of love. God is love, the Bible says, and you were born of love, so you are born love. You can partake of His nature, and His nature is love. With quiet confidence, you live in love. You practice love. You're not only hearing the preacher preach about love. You're not only admiring love. You are going to do love. You speak love. You walk in love. You live in love. You love when you feel like it. You love when you don't feel like it because it's as I have loved you. You decide definitely in your own life that we are going to walk in love as he loved. I am determined to practice love. Men may not understand you when you walk in love. They may think you're unwise. They may even think you're weak. But love never fails. So you are taking Jesus' place. You're acting just like Jesus would act in situations. You're walking in the light as he has walked in the light. You forgive those who hurt you. They know not what they do. You are going to prove to the world that love never fails. You bless others when they curse you. You pray when others criticize you. You are becoming a lover. Others will agree that they should love. They certainly should forgive. 
but it is just a suggestion, it is just a doctrine, it is a tradition to them. They have deceived themselves. They will assent to what is true, but they will descent when it's time to practice the truth for themselves. Hallelujah. Go to John 15. It really brings the scriptures alive when you actually start doing them. Until that, they're just of scripture to you. You can quote them. You can even counsel people with them. You can do whatever you want. But until you start acting in your life, they will not get inside you and start Start controlling your nature, which needs to manifest, which is the nature of God. Right, John 15, look at verse 5. Here Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can't do nothing. If a man not abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide or live in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. So he talks about disciples, not just churchgoers. He's talking about producing much fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, he's talking about love fruit. He's talking about faith fruit. And he's also talking here about prayer fruit. Whatever you ask that you want, lined up with God, you will receive it. It's the same kind of fruit that Jesus bore. It will be doing what Jesus did. It will be expanding the kingdom of God into the earth realm is what we were put here for and created for. You will do it through your own life. Why will I act in love when somebody yells at me or screams at me? Because his word abides in me. Why will I forgive when I don't feel like it? Because his word abides in me. Why will I just simply stay calm and rebuke sickness and disease when it comes? Because his word is abiding in me. The doer does the word. He lives the word. He practices the word. All his decisions are made by the word of God. Only a doer will deliver fruit in the kingdom of God. Notice prayer will become a reality to you. You won't be talking off into space anymore. He's in the throne room. He's in the presence of the Father. Remember what Jesus said the one time? He said, I thank you, Father, that you always hear me. You know, that's hard to say when we say that. When you go into your prayer room, I thank you, Father, that you always hear me. That's a good way to start because you're not convincing him. Right? He's not saying, oh, that's right, I'm supposed to be listening. No, you're saying, my God, I think he's actually listening to me before I pray. So using that scripture there will take you in a deeper realm of even prayer. You will receive then what you ask for. You're using the name of Jesus. You're taking his place. You're going to be blessed in every single deed. And I'll say right now, everybody wants to pray, 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 but there's no reason to pray if you're not obey. See, many of the things we cause in our own lives, basically, and then we want God to get rid of them and we cause them to begin with out of disobedience to God. It doesn't work that way. You need to be in line in righteousness with what God is doing and what he wants to do. And basically, a lot of things in our life would leave our life if we'd simply just obey. All right, go to James chapter 2. All right, James chapter 2, look at verse 20 this time. It says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith 
without works or corresponding action is what? It's dead. So unless we do the Word, unless we're acting on the Word, we are not really a believer of the Word. We have nothing but a mental assent without action. It's an empty confession in our mouth. It's basically just a bunch of religious words. Jesus called it the sand foundation. When the storm comes, sickness comes, lack comes, problems comes, people do not act on the Word of God. They act like the Word of God is not true rather than being true. So there's a danger in religion of words with no corresponding action. There's a danger in saying things that you don't believe. There's a danger in knowing what to do and not doing what you're supposed to do. It says in the Bible, if you know what to do and don't do it, you're under more judgment than if you were just stupid and didn't even know what to do. So as we learn and as we grow and as we see things, basically we must corresponding action to whatever's going on in our life. We, we stay away from strife. We stay away from division. Why? We know that's not of God. So what are we going to do? We're going to love them anyway, praise God. We're going to act on the Word of God. All right, go to 1 John chapter 3. All right, 1 John 3, look at verse 17. But whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Here it says love is more than just empty words. It's more than just idle talk. It's more than just saying, I love you. When you study the Word of God, you know all about the Word, you can hear the Word, but you must do what the Word is telling you to do. You must act in love, act on love. We are basically a product and born of love. We are sons and daughters of love himself. Love brought us into being. We must let love loose on the inside of us. Look at verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus, and love one another as He gave us the commandment. This here shows you that there's a search in your heart. You know if you're acting in love or not. You know if you're acting out of love or not. Basically, we are living and acting in love. Why? Because it produces prayer fruit. It produces power. All these things that should be going on in our life. You've got to walk in the love of God. Love separates you from the Word, from your righteousness, and from God. That's why it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His Righteousness, walk in right alignment with the kingdom of God, with its rules, with its laws. And by doing that, it makes the prayer line open to God for you to receive. As you go in the presence of the Father, you're not fearful. You're not afraid. You're not talking like someone who's unworthy. Your heart does not condemn you. Your heart is in perfect fellowship with the living word, and you have boldness now to ask in his presence. You make your petition in the name of Jesus, and you know the Father hears you, and that you have the petition that you ask for. The Word is basically living in your lips. It is just as though Jesus was praying at the same time. How many know that Jesus never prayed for anything outside the will of God? 
He preached everything in line with the will of God. Why was that? Because he was the walking word. Everything came out of his mouth was in line with the word of God, the will of God. We need to grow into that place because a lot of the prayers, when we start out and get saved, you know, our prayers that don't even have nothing to do with God, his will or anything. They're just gimme, 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 Jimmy, because I need it, praise God, is all they are. And that's all right to start out, but we need to grow into a place where we're actually more concerned about God's will in the earth than our will in the earth. And once we hook up with God's will through the kingdom of God and understand what we're supposed to be doing, then all these things shall be added unto us. You get into a walk almost like a river flow to where you're just looking to do God's will all day long and what you used to worry about financially and everything else just shows up somehow and it increases and it grows and it comes. Why is that? Because your father will take care of all your needs. Matter of fact, he takes care of your business if you take care of his business. Praise God. All right, go to Ephesians chapter 3. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 20. It's talking about God now unto him, talking about God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now notice the last line, according to the power that what? Works in us. See, everybody wants God to reach down from heaven, do this, do that, but he's working with the power that you have on the inside of you, which is Christ. He is able to do we are doers of the word. How can we do it? People say, I can't live this word life. I don't have the ability to do it. I'll try my best to do it. You don't do it by trying your best. You do it by agreeing with God that you have the ability to do it, even though you don't think you have the ability to do it. Are you following me? In other words, there's love on the inside of you. The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. You don't need any more love than God's love. It's already in there. I can't love. How many know that's not hooking up? I'll never be able to love anybody. No. So I walk around and say, I am a lover. I am patient. I am kind. Why? Because that's who I've really been made on the inside. The only thing keeping you from seeing that is your mind and what you've been told over the first 30 years before you got born again. So I'm going to say that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I am holy. I am powerful. Why? Because all these things are in agreement. And agreement with the word releases the anointing. Where's the anointing? It's on the inside of you. What is the anointing? The ability to do above what you can ask or think. So what's it do? It takes you beyond what you can ask or think. So the more you, you produce a bigger asking and a bigger thinking in your mind, the more he can do through you. See, you're never going to get to a place where you're asking more and thinking more than he can do. You're never going to get to that place. I mean, some people just want a car, four tires. Some people want a little more than just a car. And I'm just using the car as an example. Some people want to walk part-time in love. Well, then you walk part-time in love. The anointing will give you the ability to walk part-time in love. But if I'm going to love all the time, if I'm going to be repenting all the time, what's it going to do? The anointing in you enables you to do that. It's not you. It's through agreement. Everything is done by grace, faith through grace. It's not done by my efforts. Oh, I'm going to love today. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. You won't last till 8.30 in the morning. I'm telling you right now, you'll be punching somebody. So you can't do it in your own. You can't walk in righteousness in your own. You can just find out who you are, and as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And what's that do? It releases the anointing on the inside of you to walk in the ability of God. You, you'll be surprised how when the anointing's working in your life, the worst thing in the world can happen, and you're just the same way you were two minutes before you heard the worst thing in the world happen. 
Why is that? Because you know the word of God, you know what God has said, and you know who you are, praise God. And it's not going to affect, and people say, you don't care. No, I just ain't going to worry with you. I ain't going to freak out with you. I ain't going to go nuts with you. I'm just going to be stable. There's something about stability that's really nice. Going up and down and up and down. No wonder why people are so tired. My God, I can't even do that in the natural, jump up and down, much less in my mind and not get tired. Why is that? Because we're up and down. You turn on TV, you're down. You turn on the praise, I'm up. Then you turn TV on, you're down again. Then you hear the news, you're down. Then you're up, then you're down. Then you're, somebody, somebody got sick, oh, I'm down. Somebody got healed, oh, I'm up. Up and down and up. Make up your mind. See, is the word the truth or not the truth? Is the word going to reign in your life or is such races and circumstance going to reign in your life? And people brag about worrying. I'm a wonderful worrier because I care about people. No, you're driving yourself nuts and destroying yourself is what you're doing. So what are we going to do? We're going to get on the word of God, why we have the ability. And the, the thing here that says, well, let's read it again. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. The word we ask there is demand. Everything I demand. So, I mean, if sickness comes and your mind and everything's in a position where you know that healing belongs to you and you know that you have power in the name of Jesus, you're simply going to say, in Jesus' name, you get out of here, praise God. And what's going to happen? It's going to go because the anointing in you is going to release enough power according to what you ask or think. If you say, oh my gosh, that's right, I am sick as a dog and it's just going to get worse. How many know the anointing can't do a thing? Can't do nothing for you because it don't, it don't want to make you sick as a dog or a cat or anything else you can come up with, praise God. It doesn't do that. So we want to stay in line. We want the Word of God to abide. And that's what's so important about the Word of God in us. In Matthew 28, God said, I'll be with you. Jesus said, I'll be with you always. Well, how is he with you? He's with you not only in that anointing, but he's with the Word of God that you have now in your heart and in your mouth. You're, you're living in the presence of God. You're meditating on the Word. You're using the Word at every turn and every situation that comes your way. You're repenting when you step out from underneath the Word. You, you want to really stop something? Repent in front of somebody. Think it's easy to say, oh gosh, I screwed up. But when you screw up in front of somebody and repent in front of them, that's no fun, praise God. Because they may not think you're that wonderful person that you thought they thought you were, praise God. And that's terrible, hallelujah. So what do you want to do? We want to begin doing the word, don't we? In every situation, we're going to do the word, aren't we? Somebody pulls out in front of us in the car, we're not going to scream and shout at them, praise God. We're going to pray for them and praise God for them, hallelujah, and thank God for them. What are we doing? We're acting on the word of God, see? We're walking in love. We're walking in victory. It's doing the word of God. It's not how much you know. Man, I know a lot of stuff in the Word, and I know a lot of stuff I ain't doing yet, but I know a lot of it I am doing that I wasn't doing five, four, three years ago. I'm starting to learn more and more each and every day, and I want to continue to learn. I don't want to get to the place where thou hast learned it all and how greatest thou art. See, I don't want that, praise God. I, I want to keep growing. I want to keep getting determined. I want to keep finding things. I want to think different for God's sakes. Hallelujah. All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 30. It says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glory, let him glory in the Lord. 
So here it says, basically, and we know we're not of this world, but we're in this world, just like Jesus was. But we are here, and we are supernaturally energized by the anointing and the Word of God on the inside of us. We have Him, so we have the wisdom of God. We have Him, so we have redemption. We have been redeemed from our weakness, from our failures, from our lack, and from our ability. We are redeemed out of the fear of failure and out of ignorance. Here it says he is also our righteousness. He is our right standing with the Father. We have the right and the wisdom and the ability to walk in love, in health, in redemption, in victory. The mighty one that is in us is taking us out of the world's way into God's way. As we study the Word, as we read the Word, it starts to abide on the inside of us. God has given Christ Jesus, who's on the inside of us, all these things. You are redeemed tonight. You are righteous tonight. Are you as righteous as Jesus? Yes, you are. Are you as redeemed as Jesus? Yes, you are. Do you have the wisdom of Jesus? Yes, you do. So the thing you don't want to do is talk anti to what you have. I just don't have any wisdom. I'm telling you, I wish I'd get some wisdom. If I just had some wisdom, praise God, I'd have some wisdom. Hallelujah. I just wish I'd get redeemed, praise God. I wish something would happen to me. No, you have redemption. It's been given to you. You have wisdom. You're better off saying when somebody asks you something you don't know, it's thank you, God, for the wisdom. Hallelujah. And God didn't reveal it to me right now, but I'll be right back a little bit later, and I'll have it for you. Rather than say, I don't know. I don't know. You do know. So you've got the wisdom on the inside of you. And notice what all this leads to. Verse 31, that according as it is written, let he that glorieth glory, let him glory in who? The Lord. So how am I going to glory in the Lord if the Lord's wisdom is in me and has blessed me and I'm telling everybody I don't know nothing? But see, that's what we thought glorying in the Lord was because we don't want to give any credit to ourselves. So we're way down here and we give glory to God. Are you smart? No, I'm dumb. Are you redeemed? No, I'm never going to be redeemed. Praise God. Can you love? No, only Jesus can love. That ain't glorifying him. Glorifying him is glorifying the Christ who lives on the inside of you who you are now walking and magnifying. Praise God. There's no change unless there's a, there's a manifestation of the Spirit, not indwelling of the Spirit. Everybody has the indwelling, but the only change that takes place in people's life when the beard in them manifests in the life of them and of other people. So praise God, we are redeemed. We are healed. Jesus says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. All right, go to Ephesians chapter 2. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. It says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. How many know that was a bad place to be? Notice, no hope without God in the world. God knew what he must do to bring you back to him and redeem you. He knew the hopelessness of man under Satan's dominion, living in spiritual death, under the curse, in bondage, and in fear. We were separated from Christ, and Christ alone is the only one who had the internal life that we needed. We were alienated and strangers from the covenants of promise, with no hope, without God, but we were eternal beings. How many know that this scripture should make an evangelist out of every single person? All right, go to Hebrews chapter 9, because that's where some of your loved ones are at right now. 
All right, Hebrews chapter 12, or chapter 9, I'm sorry, verse 12. It says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained a eternal redemption for us. What God has said about our redemption has meant nothing to most of the people in the church, most of the multitudes who are born-again believers. To most, it's simply been simple words that we have. Boy, we'll talk about it, we'll sing about it, we'll shout about it, but most people don't even act on the redemption that they already have. To most, it's simply words, a theological fact. We confess it, we sing it, but we live like unredeemed people, like mere man. We allow in our life what we have dominion over to keep out of our life. We continue to be ruled over by what we have been eternally set free from. The Bible says that you have the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. The Bible says that you are an overcomer. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. The Bible says that you are a king and a priest unto God. You talk to people and everybody, yes, I'm redeemed, but I've been sick lately and uh, I've been fighting, I'm divorced and my wife's running away and my dog's mad and everything. No, you're not redeemed. You don't understand that you're redeemed. You wouldn't talk like that. Many times we spend most of our time talking the redemption that he gave us out of our lives. Why is that? We don't have a revelation that we've been redeemed, praise God. And redemption is really not a process. The day that you got born again, you were redeemed. You didn't have to pick a lucky lottery ticket. You didn't have to grow in it. Now, you grow in the knowledge of the redemption that you have, but you're not growing in the redemption that he provided for you. Notice, he went into the holy place with his blood and entered in how many times? Well, thank God he don't have to keep going back in. Some people want him to go back in all the time and take care of them. It doesn't work that day. He went in once. It's an eternal redemption. Say eternal redemption. How many know eternal's a long time? All right, go to Colossians 1. There are certain phrases that jump out of you at the Bible, and there are things that the Holy Spirit wants you to dwell on, and that was one for me in my early stages because it says, I was eternally redeemed. I was eternally redeemed. I look in the mirror and say, you're eternally redeemed. And I'd walk down the street and say, I'm eternally redeemed. And I go by. Because I'll tell you what, if you think you're eternally redeemed, then something comes. All at once you lose your eternal redemption. See? I'm eternally redeemed. I'm redeemed from sickness. I'm redeemed from fear. I'm redeemed from lack. And then a symptom comes and say, oh my God, I'm getting it again. Well, you're not eternally redeemed. You were redeemed as long as you felt good. Are you following me? I was doing it as long as everybody was nice to me. I was walking in love. I was eternally in love until they said that. And I'm going to step out and, Jesus, you better go to the cross again and pay for it because I, no, see, it's eternal. And I had to convince myself I'm eternally healed. I'm eternally blessed. I'm eternally anointed. I mean, I had to do these things because there's going to be times when you don't feel like that, praise God. All right, Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 13. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of God, in whom we have redemption redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, in whom we have, not going to get, in whom we have redemption or have been set free. So in Christ, in the kingdom of God, we have redemption if you're born into the kingdom of God. It's one of the benefits. You've been redeemed from Satan's dominion. You also have forgiveness which is a remission of all your sins. Remission means to wipe out every stupid thing you did before you got born again. How many of you are happy about that? Thank God. Hallelujah. 
No matter how much Satan had a hold on you, how much bondage you were in, the minute that you were born again, you now stand before God as a son of God and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven without any trace of wrongdoing from your past life. Glory to God. The instant we are born again, we become the righteousness of God in Christ. The instant we become the righteousness of God, Satan's dominion over us is broken. Why? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ, I have rights in the kingdom of God, and I'm walking in those rights of the kingdom of God, and one of the rights in the kingdom of God is redemption that's already been provided for me. Instead of being slaves to the enemy, we now become masters of the adversary. Instead of circumstances lording over us in every situation, we become the masters of situations and circumstances. We now have an eternal redemption. It is operative now, today. The Bible says that we can stand fast in the liberty where which he has already set us free. The Bible says that you have the ability to bind and the ability to loose. You have the ability to say unto this mountain, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Praise God. All right, go to Ephesians chapter 2. fun walking around right now because everybody comes up to you and since I'm a little bit older they'll say did you were you able to get the vaccine yet and I say no I didn't get the vaccine why not I say I don't get sick and they go they <laughs> don't know what to say next that just ends the conversation I mean if I said well it's an opinion maybe I will I just say I don't get sick and they say oh oh okay they don't know what else to say praise God it saves an argument baffles their mind all right Ephesians chapter 2 look at verse 6 here it says he has raised us up together he has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus now is this the word of God is the word of God true all right so we are legally sitting with him in heaven according to this look at verse 5 even when we were dead in sins he quickened us or made us alive together with Christ by grace are you saved. So he's made us alive. He's seated us in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. This is our standing according to the Word of God today. This is the foundation for all the legal rights we get when we entered the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit through the Word of God is coming. What's he come to do? He comes to lead you and guide you into all what? Truth. What is that truth he's guiding you into? It's your divine rights that you possess in the kingdom of God. He's trying to show you the truth in the situation. No, no. You are righteous. No, no. You are holy. No, no. You are powerful. No. He comes and leads and guides you into all truth. And basically the truth is there to set you free. And you know the truth. The truth will set you free. Well, how am I going to know the truth? Well, the Holy Ghost is leading and guiding you into all truth. And I'll tell you what, he does a good job if you let him do it. But in order to do that, he's going to show you some things in the Word of God that does not agree with this computer up here. And then you're going to get in a fight. You're going to argue with God. You're going to lose. You might as well just don't let three or four days go by. Just get it over with. You're going to lose. I've tried it. It never wins. You can think you're right for sure. No. It's in the Word of God. in the Word of God. You're redeemed, but I don't feel. You're redeemed, but you don't understand how. You're redeemed, but you don't understand. You're redeemed, but I think I might have to. You're redeemed. I mean, he never changes. I wish he'd say, well, you're right this one time and you can do something. But it don't work that way. He'd, and how many know the, the God might say the word since he is the word and basically that's the word. So that's what he's going to say. So your days of weakness and failure are over. 
basically the word of God. You're not going to start acting on the word of God. You have been redeemed and you have a new position. What is that new position? I'm glad you act. Just turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet. Who's his feet? We're the body, aren't we? And gave him to be the head over all things to the? Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So not only did he seat you in heavenly places, he puts you into a place where you now wants you to act like the word is true. And I'll tell you, we're in a time right now when God is looking for people who are going to act like the word is true. He's been waiting a long time. Everybody knows the word. They can quote the word. Hallelujah. But it's time to act like the word is actually true, that you are righteous, you are redeemed, you are full of the spirit of God, you are anointed. Hallelujah. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 4. It says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these great and precious promises you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Here it says, When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a new creation. That new creation is a spiritual fact. We become utterly one with Christ. He is the vine and we are the branches. We become partakers of His divine nature. We have been born into the image and likeness of God. And we have escaped the corruption that came into the world through Adam's sin. We have escaped sin. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. You've escaped sickness. By his stripes we are healed. You escaped fear. Fear is not of God. We escaped worry and selfishness. Why? We now have the divine nature of God on the inside of us. What is God's nature? Love and joy and peace and power. The word life is basically the word zoe, which means God's divine nature or God's life. The Bible says that Jesus came not only that we may have life, but that we may have life. See, a lot of people have life in the church, but not too many are living in life more abundantly because they just got born again. They thought their final destination is heaven. Now they're going to get into heaven. Praise God. That's all there is to it. But heaven is just a byproduct of you being born in the kingdom of God. You're not going to stay in heaven forever anyway if you read your Bible. You're going to end up right back here on earth ruling and reigning what God wanted to do in the first place. So heaven is just a holding place. That's not, our, that's not what we want to do. You're born into that. It belongs to you. But healing belongs to you also. The nature belongs to you also. The Holy Spirit belongs to you. All these things are byproducts of you becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. Praise God. Glory to God. So Jesus came that they might have life, have it more abundantly, not only believe in this life, but we live in this life. Now, how do the promises get me completely out of corruption so I can live in divine nature? What do I have to do with the promises to do that? Believe. Say believe. I simply believe the promises of God. Praise God. That's what, I don't try harder. Oh, I've got the nature of God. I'm going to try to love. I'm going to try to forgive. No, no. I just act on the promises. The promises say I'm righteous, so I'm righteous. 
Who are you? I'm righteous. I don't do that because I'm righteous. The Bible says, awake to righteousness and sin not. It don't say do righteousness and get over sin. It tells you to wake up, wake up, you're righteous, and then you will sin not. Why? Because righteous people don't sin. Hallelujah. Healed people don't get sick. Are you following me? I mean, dogs bark, cats meow. It's all the same. Everybody's got their nature. Are you following me? I mean, wouldn't you think it's fun, weird if a dog walked down meowing right by you down? You'd say something's wrong with that dog. Well, God's saying something's wrong with my people down there because they're holy, they're righteous, they're blessed, and they're walking around like they're not, and they're talking like they're not, see? That's not the nature, but we put our, our confidence in the promises of God, praise God. And the Bible says that he that believes has. Say, he that believes has. He's not trying to get... He's not doing his best. He has eternal life. Mental assent is what thinks you believe that you believe something, but you haven't you acted on it. And as soon as the storm comes, you will turn from it and run in the other direction every single time. It's when the storm comes that you're going to find out what's going on. The instant you really receive. And now let me say this. Even when the storm comes and it hits you and you're not in the right place, just get in the Word and stay in the Word and grow a little bit more into the right place is all. It's not that, oh, I quit. No, it's not quitting. Everybody's growing at a different pace. Everybody's going to a different area. Everybody's believing something a little different, acting on something a little different. The thing is that we continue to grow. How do we do that? Through the Word of God. As a newborn babe, we desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow. Well, if people aren't in the Word, guess what? They're not growing. You take a newborn baby, don't feed it any milk, see what happens to the baby. Well, it looks the same as it did three weeks ago. Yeah, you haven't fed it yet. It's the same way with our spirits. As you put the Word of God in there and you grow, praise God, the Word of God will become more real to you. That's what the Spirit of God's doing on the inside of you, trying to prove to you that the Word is real and that is the truth and that's the way it works and that's who you are. And you can see the difference from when you got saved to now. And when you first got saved, you didn't believe anything. You just believed what your mom and dad told you, what the religious people told you, what everybody else told you. But you slowly came out of that. You slowly went through your own deliverance through the Word of God. My God, I've had so many deliverances in my life. It's wonderful, praise God. And I, nobody else was there. It was just me and the Word and God. That was enough, praise God. Because when he says something in his Word, I either believe it or I don't. And I've got to make up my mind on that. He can't even make you believe it, praise God. So what I do, I see it in the Word. I'm going to start acting. I'm going to make a point to act on that. I read about love today. I'm going to act in love. All day long, I'm looking. I'm going to act in love. I hope somebody shouts at me so I can act in love back at him, praise God. I hope something bad happens so I can practice loving, praise God. But how many know you really don't have to look for it? All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 11. It says, Unless Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So when we enter the kingdom of God, we're redeemed, we're righteous, we're holy by, the, by a miracle, basically. We have gained the advantage over Satan immediately. The church then has been given weapons to ensure your victory, to enforce your redemption, to release your dominion, to walk in your anointing. We have been given authority, and that authority is in the name of who? 
in the name of Jesus. When God planned our redemption, he knew the measure of the ability of the enemy, what he would come against our lives with, but notice he gave us enough weapons to counter everything the devil would come after us with. He knew that Jesus had paralyzed the death-dealing power of the enemy. He knew that he must give us the ability to dominate Satan and dominate all his works. The Bible says we have power to tread over all the power of the enemy. And the Bible says the Son of God goes around destroying the works of the devil. So we come to know Satan's devices, but also our rights and privileges as sons of God. This is a key in your life right here. Come to know, first of all, Satan's devices, how they work, how he does it, how he tries to get in your mind, how he tries to get in your thought life. But also you've got to know your rights and your privileges as a son of God. We will then stand fast in the liberty where which Christ has set us free. He has given us the advantage in our life. We were born into freedom. Now we want to stay there, praise God. Hallelujah. You know, if we just presented the gospel as not just a ticket to heaven or not just anything, if we just as entering the kingdom of God where all these wonderful things are, we'd have a lot more people coming to the kingdom of God. Do you know that? Nobody's advertising for people to come through Mexico and come to the United States. Why, why are they coming? Because there's something better here. There's freedom here. There's all these things here. They're fighting to get in this country. They're trying to climb over the walls to get in the country. And we can't get people in the church because, first of all, we want them to stop sinning, and then we want to point out everything they're doing wrong, and then we want to tell them it's just a ticket to heaven. Well, that's fine, but they get their ticket to heaven, then they backslide the rest of their life because they don't know there's anything to it. Are you going to heaven? Yes. You go to church? No. You read your word? No. I'm going to heaven. Why should I do anything else? That's all I'm here for is to go to heaven. Well, then they get depressed. Then they're on all kind of drugs. Why is that? Because there's a purpose for everybody here. And that purpose you were created into will, will keep you fulfilled, will keep you happy, will keep you going in the midst of trials and troubles. But if you're just here, just killing time till you die, praise God, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be anything at that time. And that's why there's so much trouble even in the church, so many people struggling because they don't know that that's there for them. All right, go to John chapter 14. All right, John 14, look at verse 13. Jesus said, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do what? I will do it. So here we're told to use the name of Jesus, take Jesus' place, basically do what Jesus would do in situations. Whatever you ask in my name, once again, the word there, ask, is to demand or command. This is not really prayer. This is authority and dominion in action in your life. This is demanding your rights and your privileges that the enemy has no right to take from you because you're in the kingdom of God. This is enforcing your redemption that Jesus provided. This is proving, praise God, that the Father's will is done on the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to prove I'm redeemed. When something comes against my redemption, I'm going to prove that Jesus redeemed me, went to the cross once. I'm going to demand in Jesus' name. Notice the same thing Jesus did. He spoke to the tree. He spoke to the fever. He spoke to what was he doing? He was proving, basically, that God has dominion over the power of the enemy. We are supposed to do the same thing. So we use our authority to do that, and that authority is in the name of Jesus. All right, go to Acts chapter 3. 
The name of Jesus, as you study it out, is a lot more than just what we've been using it for, which is a rabbit's foot. You know, you pray a prayer, and then at the end you say, in Jesus' name, and you think that's going to wake up heaven and they're going to finally hear you, but that's not what it. You are praying in Jesus' name because you have basically been given the authority to do that. You've been given the jurisdiction to represent him here on the earth. You are taking his place here on the earth, praise God. So that's what it is as you pray. All right, Acts chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now Peter and John went up to the temple together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple asked of alms and Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John said look on us and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee in the name or in the place of or instead of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now how many know Jesus would have did probably the same thing there? And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and doing what? Praising, Praising God. Hallelujah. So we are redeemed so we can take Jesus' place, just like they did in this area. We can use his name just as Peter and John did. The man here basically was crippled for a long time. He was expecting to receive something. I'm sure he wasn't respect, expecting this, but he's expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, in the name instead of in Jesus' place, basically used the name and raised him up, and his ankle bones received strength. The man leaped up, began to walk, and praised God in the temple. A miracle took place, a manifestation of the living Christ. What happened? God's will was brought into the situation. God's will proved was proved in this man's life. He thought for 40 years that God's will was being crippled. But Peter and John proved what God's will really was, that they were redeemed. All right, look at verse 16. Peter says, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yeah, the faith which is by him has given us this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Here a crowd gathered together around them. They wondered what the heck happened to this man. Peter got up and said, well, it was his name. Through faith in his name, through the dominion that's in his name is what healed this man. How many know they didn't like that very well? So the disciples were arrested for this and locked up. The same ones who crucified Jesus now locked them up for doing what they were called to do. Go to Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 7. So they came to him and they said, And when they had sent him in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he has made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. So the disciples simply said, Well, God's will is done. The kingdom has advanced, and it's done it by the name of Jesus. They released their dominion, and that dominion was in their name. After this, they scourged them. They sent them out and told them to stop speaking in that name. 
But the authority in the name had already begun to do its work. Multitudes were being healed. Thousands were flocking into the city. Look at verse 17. They came to the disciples and said, But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they may speak henceforth to no man in that name. So they were afraid it was going to spread. They were afraid other people was going to figure out that there's power in the name of Jesus. They were getting all bent out of shape about it, praise God. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Well, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, we judge probably not you. Hallelujah. The disciples were arrested again, but this time an angel came. Hallelujah. Say, kingdom police force. The kingdom police force came while they were in jail and broke them out of jail, praise God. Look at verse 22. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was shown. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God in one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So the Sanhedrin basically gathered them together, put them in jail. They sent the officers with them to protect them. But the angel came and got them out of jail. And the high priest then, when they got out of jail, got even madder. Verse 28. You'd think they'd give up after a while, wouldn't you? Verse 28, For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before it be done. All right, go to Acts chapter 5. We'll read that part. Look at 519. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now, that couldn't be a good word for them. They just preached in the name of Jesus and ended up in jail. So they devil, the angel gets them out and sends them right back in there. They'll do the darn dang thing again. Verse 22, So the officers came and found them not in prison. They returned and told, saying, Man, the prison truly found was shut up with all safety, and the keepers stand without the doors. But when we had opened it, we didn't find them in there anywhere. What happens? They found out that they were left out, so they hunted them down. So in verse 28, they said, Didn't we not straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Notice the high priest said, We told you not to teach what? In his name. Now notice, they didn't object to them teaching about the resurrection. They didn't object to them teaching about their own righteousness but they objected to them teaching him about the authority in the name of Jesus. Now in Acts, that's, that's the beginning of the church. The name of Jesus had power. How many know the name of Jesus still has the same authority and the same power as it does right now? Praise God. It's lost none of its power. It's lost none of its authority. And you can see the supernatural things that actually took place, praise God, through the disciples in Acts. All right, one more. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. All right, Ephesians 6, let's just start in verse 16. It says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? 
the Word of God. So in the kingdom of God, we were given the name of Jesus and other weapons to enforce God's will in the earth and in our life. The Bible says His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He gave us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is never used to wound people or slay them or cut them. It is used against the adversary. Hallelujah. Be careful with the Word. Our combat is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness. If we speak to the forces of darkness, we cannot see. Say, cannot see. How many know if you're going to talk to demonic entities, you're going to talk to things that you cannot see? How many know it's easier to rebuke something you can see? Jesus spoke to the winds and waves, the trees, but spirits also. We have come out of darkness into the light, out of Satan's kingdom, into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Our combat is with the forces of darkness that surround us. Spirits of infirmity, spirits of fear, spirits of depression, lust, addiction, all these spirits we have authority over. We live in the light of our redemption, the light of revealed knowledge of the Word of God. The more we know about our rights, and the more rights we know we have, the more rights we will defend in our life because they belong to us. The word is used, first of all, to reveal our rights, our privileges, and our redemption. And then we use the word and the name of Jesus to enforce our rights and stand our ground. Once again, the word of God will reveal to you your rights, your privileges, and your redemption. We then will use that word and that name to enforce the word in our lives. We will stand our ground, and we will honor the blood that paid for our redemption. We are redeemed. We are eternally redeemed, and we were redeemed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way we fulfill our purpose and fulfill the others' lives so that they can also live in their purpose also. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, that's as far as I can go. We're done. the key.